Hey everybody, Michael Rand here, trying something a little bit different here on this podcast. Talk to Lavelle E. Neal III and Jim Suhan, Star Tribune columnists, over the Thursday lunch hour today. Decided to make this into a bonus podcast special delivery, if you will. We might do these more as time goes on. I always had an idea that if there was major breaking news that came out right after uh, right after a podcast was posted, I'd do another one. This isn't so much breaking news, but a breakdown and analysis of the Twins season. A lot of that reporting in Thursday's paper and on ThursdayStarTribune.com. So please do enjoy this special delivery episode. Joined here by Jim Suhan and Lavelle E. Neal III. Both of you gentlemen had pieces uh, on StarTribune.com Thursday and in Thursday's paper. Talking about the Twins, which has not been a, a great, a, a happy subject anyway. It's been a, in terms of content, it's generated a lot of stuff uh, for us, but it has not been good news for the Twins. 14 and 27 at this point in the season. Worst record in the American League, tied for the lowest winning percentage in all of baseball. Certainly not meeting the expectations that we had at the start of the season. Jim, um, you wrote about... Um, Let's let's kind of go through the subjects that have, you know, that you guys did a lot of different subjects when you wrote about this. And, you know, Jim, you dug in on Rocco Valdelli, Lavelle, you dug in on the, the pitching and, you know, Derek Falvey and then the, how they've you know managed the pitching this year and brought in the pitching. Let's start with, let's start with you, Jim, um, you know, two columnists here. So a little bit of license to give some opinion as well. What, what do you. Where where do you put Rocco Baldelli in terms of you know the the list of the or the hierarchy of of what's gone wrong this season and you know where do you think he's not as much to blame and, and where do you think he he does shoulder some of the blame for what's happened so far? Well, the catch with this conversation is I don't like a lot of the things Rocco does, but he's doing exactly the same things he did the previous two years. So while I think he's fair game in terms of I would play my best position players every chance I got. And I would give them a rest if they were beat up physically or if they needed a mental health, you know, kind of a, a day to work on mechanics. But I would play my best players much more than he does. I would try to get more innings out of my starters. I would use fewer relievers. I would ride hot relievers. And Rocco's philosophy is 180 degrees from that. But, you know, it worked for two years. He uh, had the highest winning percentage, not only in Twins franchise history, but in Twins and Senators franchise history in his first two years as a, ma- as a manager at any level. So while I don't mind second-guessing managers, I've second-guessed every manager I've ever covered, including Tom Kelly, who's the smartest baseball person I've ever met. Uh, I think we have to be careful of taking our second-guessing too seriously. You know, yeah, I can second-guess Rocco every day on, on lineup, on usage and all that. But I also have to acknowledge that's exactly what worked for him the previous two years. Lavelle, what about you? You you wrote about the pitching, and I'm going to kind of talk about Rocco and the pitching in a certain context here in just a minute. But, you know, as you think about, you know, the development of pitching in particular and how that's hurt them this season in terms of, you know, the, the guys they have available this year just haven't done what they're supposed to do. How do you evaluate where they are pitching wise and how much has that contributed to what we've seen so far in the field this year for background sake we have to keep we have to keep this in the background minds we talk about the twins and pitching okay uh since the mid-90s the twins have produced four homegrown starting pitchers that have a war over 10 it's brad rackey matt garza scott baker and kyle gibson 
Okay. Barrios is at 7.8. He'll probably get there eventually. But here's the thing. A franchise cannot sustain success if they're only producing four or five good starters every generation. Okay. It's not going to work. So when Fabi come over from the Cleveland Indians, he was received praise from Terry Francona and all the staff there about how much he helped the pitching in terms of uh, development, strategy, uh, use, and everything. Okay. So um, it's, Falvey's in his fifth year now here, and we've, we saw it a little bit in the last couple of years. We haven't seen him develop any good starters yet. Um, it looks like they got some good guys at high A. Um, he did not draft Jordan Balazovic. He traded for Yon Duran. And I, I'm going to say this, too. You get good pitchers by drafting and trading for and buying. You know, there's three ways to get a good starter. But if you're not going to spend a lot of money to bring in a quality starter, then you sure in hell need to be able to be better than most teams at developing them. You know, you can't have it both ways. So um, this season, um, they relied on two guys with shaky past and J.A. Happ and Matt Shoemaker to prop up the back end in our rotation. And, and we, as, as we have seen, those guys have very little room for error. Um, also, the bullpen does not have someone to, to shut down left-handers because Cale Thilbar is a reverse split guy and lefties are destroying this team. They're having a 931 OPS against the Twins pitching staff. And that's just that's just all-star caliber offense every day if you have a left-handed hitter. I mean, lefties are in the DL and be like, please get me off the injured list now because I want to play. The twins are coming to town. I got to get out so I can I can get out there and pad my stats. You know, so it's a mess now. Um, in terms of assembling the pitching staff this year and how it's been used, it's just been an unmitigated disaster. So as you think about it, so many things have gone wrong that it's hard to, you know, it's hard to pinpoint like, oh, that's the thing. That's the thing. And that's, that's kind of what the point of the whole series that we did that's on, you know, like I said, on StarTribune.com in the newspaper today is like, there's a lot of different angles to go to like, yeah, this hasn't worked or this, you know, this part of it isn't working. As you think about the pitching in particular, what do you think it's more of the plan or the execution of the plan? that's been lacking this year. That is to say, are the pitchers just not performing up to the levels that they should be, or was it a flawed plan going in? Um, if it's a little bit of both, which one is, is more of it, Jim, maybe you first on that. I mean, as you said, when a team plays as badly, it's not just one thing and it's not easy to fix. Uh, I think the dominoes, I think they're dominoes on both ends. Last year, Maeda was an ace. He was a true ace. He was a Cy Young contender. Uh, that bumped Barrios down to being a very comfortable two. It bumped you know, other people down to very comfortable roles. Uh, Mayan has not been good this year. So now all of a sudden your ace is your, what, fourth best starter? And your fourth and fifth starters aren't very good. And Pineda's missed some time. And, you know, so the, the rotation is suffering because Mayan has not been who they need him to be. And then the other end, uh, they signed Colome to basically be their at least tentative closer, at least part-time closer, and he blows up early. And, and a reminder, one was thrown the wrong base. So it wasn't like every outing just was terrible, but, you know, they had, they lost so many games on weird plays. I mean, Kyle may throw the wrong base, Arise throwing 40 feet high to first base. But closer not doing his job, not getting the results. It's kind of like we saw in, with the Twins in, what, 2018? I can't remember. They had, a, they had some promising year where Perkins was just horrible in April, and the season was all of a sudden over. Not having a, sh I think Colum is a good pitcher. He has a very good track record, but not having a sure thing closer. 
just puts you in a position where things can go really wrong. And that's where like the White Sox go out and get Liam Hendricks. They say, we're going to go get the best closure we can absolutely get. And even though Colomay has been a good pitcher for us, we're going to let him go by the wayside because it's not really a sure thing. And the Twins did what the Twins so often do and said, hey, here's a guy with a track record who's a bargain and we can get him. Let's go get him. Well, that's fine. But if you don't have a sure thing pitch in the ninth inning, it's amazing how often other people don't perform in their roles. Mike, Mike, there's nothing more demoralizing than having a bullpen that blows leads. Um, when you start losing games late, the last three innings, it has a ripple effect throughout that clubhouse. And Rocco has been unable to find the right touch there to get, a, get games out. He was, he was really determined to get Kami back on the horse after he had a couple shaky outings. And I think that in the, he ended up blowing a couple of games because of that. Um, but Jim's right. I mean, if Joe Nathan's the closer of this team, everything's different. You know, <laughs> they they may have won 10 more games uh, if they have, have a proven closer sitting there in the ninth inning who can come in and just blow people away with a great, great slider and 95 mile an hour fastball. So 10 more games, really like that. That's as much, that's as much of a domino effect as, as that. Well, look at how many runs that they give. How many runs did they allowed in the ninth inning? Was it 28 to three? Yeah. 28, three at one point. Yeah. I don't know what it is now, but that was the, that was the ninth inning and 10th inning it was 28 to three at one point. Yeah. Think about that. That's a lot. Of, that's a bunch of games in that spot right there. But even if they're five games better then they're like 19 and 22 and they're not panicked. They're just, they're not playing well. Yeah. But they're not panicked. Yeah. That's so, a good point. So I, I just think that I just think that um, the decisions made that some of those pitching staff, the other thing too, you need you need in this day and age the way starters are used, you need like eight or nine starters in terms of depth to get through a season. And after the starting five, they really don't have much depth. You got Lewis Thorpe and Randy Dobnak. And then the two kids that they're trying to cultivate aren't ready yet. So they put themselves in the box here, I think from the get-go. One of the most amazing stats that I saw in the package was actually our colleague, Phil Miller. The fact that they, their bullpen has allowed 70% of inherited runners to score. And I, I read that and I was like, that's got to be a misprint. I was like, I was getting ready to call in an error. I was like, no, no, no. Hey, we got to fix this. And I was like, no, that's right. Like nobody else in the majors is worse than 50%. And this was a number they were pretty good at last year, right? It was more like 29%. They were like top 10 in the league. Um, is that, uh, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to identify what the real problem is, is that guys aren't doing their jobs or is it guys are being put in their roles that, that they're not able to do their jobs in because a, they don't have enough of these good guys or Rocco is not deploying them correctly. You know, Duffy, they needed Duffy to be good. He has not been good this year. Right. Or last year. Uh, they needed Robles or column a to handle the closers role. We haven't seen that happen. They needed Rogers to be, Frankly, they need Rodgers to be exceptional. He's their one matchup lefty. He's the one guy you can throw out there and say, okay, I'm going to give him the seventh and the eighth. You know, he's the one guy who can really be a shutdown guy on the staff. Nobody's performed all that well. Not having a closer really put a lot of stress on that. Let me go really big picture here. We watched them play great in 2019. We watched them kind of continue that for the most part last year, although it was a very different product. They didn't hit all the home runs. He's found other ways to win. But I look at this, you know, I think 2019, we all seized on that and said, this team could be great. This team could be a World Series champion. This could, team could. And I, you go through the roster. How many players on this team have had more than one really good season as a Minnesota Twin? 
Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you start to wonder who, what's the outlier and what's the, what, what's right, the expectation? Exactly. I would say that only the only player on this roster who's had two exceptional seasons in a Minnesota Twins out, uh, uniform is Nelson Cruz, and he's 42. No. No. Everybody else said that one year they got you excited. Buxton hasn't had a complete year. Donaldson hasn't had a complete year. Polanco had one year. Barrios had one year. Maeda had one year. Rogers had one year. Duffy had one year. Um, you know, Kepler had one year. You look at Kepler's stats. He had one year that got us really excited. He's been really a below average offensive yeah. So sometimes I wonder, maybe maybe Rocco is a magician for getting this group to win 101 games with the year, and maybe this maybe this team isn't that good. Well, now you're getting at the whole core thing. The core yeah. is the people expect it. They're going to carry this team, you know, to years of success. Uh, Polanco, Kepler, Buxton, Sano, Garver to that extent. And actually Garver won one good year. Yeah. Um, that core has not performed up to what was expected or projected of them. So um, you're, you're exactly right about that. Mike, getting back to the whole inherited runner scoring thing, too. A couple of things at play. Um, and it's just my quibble as a baseball viewer is that um, – and Rocco has done it multiple times this year. Bases get loaded. He brings in a reliever. And I'm like, the starter may have to deserve to try to get out of his own mess. You know, so now these relievers are coming in with the bases loaded and having them be, be, be perfect. I remember the grand slam that Akla gave up to Matt Chapman of the, of the Oakland A's. You know, a pitch off, it was in and off the plate, but Chapman was looking for it and, and pounded it for a grand slam. Um, there's been two other games. Colomay's been on the mound for both of them in which teams load the bases and scored runs without a hit which is just, just nutty, you know? So they've been put in bad situations. Yes. They've created bad situations. Yes. But they haven't, they haven't, uh, ex- they haven't been able to perform in either scenario. And they don't have, you know, other than maybe Robles when he's on, they don't have blow you away stuff. So I, th- and that's an interesting difference. I mean, Rocco does a lot of things TK did in terms of leaving resting players, he uses the bench, all that. I, I always remember one thing that, TK and Guardy always talk about was whenever possible, give your reliever a clean slate because you know, what if it's, it's just human nature. It's just the nature of athletics. You come in, you're pitching off a different mound and you got to get a first, you have to get that first guy out or two runs against score. That's a tough assignment. I agree. Yeah. I would, like I said, if I'm Rocco, a couple of times I would walk, walked out with the bases loaded and said, you created this mess. You get out of it. All right. You're going to learn how to problem solve right here. And instead of having to bring a reliever into a tough situation. I'd love to hear Rocco say that does not sound like Rocco's tone <laughs> or uh, messaging, um, which, you know, again, his kind of big picture, his don't panic um, attitude served them well in 2019. And again, in a weird year in 2020, that even keel certainly served them well. I don't know if that's serving them well right now. They might need a little bit more urgency. We have a, a comment from a Twitter, uh, Twitter, a general soreness is the Twitter handle. A nice callback to, uh, to Jimmy Butler in the injury report a few years ago saying, at what point does Falvey emerge from the bunker and acknowledge what's going on with this team? I guess that's getting to the question of accountability. And I think we did see Le- Thad Levine take some questions fairly recently, but that does, you know, it was around this time five years ago that, that Jim Polad emerged and, and gave Chips Goggins the famous uh uh, total system failure quote. When uh, when do you think there needs to be more? I, I guess do we need to hear more from from the from the very top of the food chain than we've heard so far? Okay, let me give you a little little inside dope on that one because I was talking to someone yesterday. Please do. And um, you know the talk that's going on in, with the front office right now is that 
if you're playing blackjack and you've got a system down and it's been successful, are you just in a, a run where it's not working and it's going to level out and get better eventually? Or do you really have to change your approach? You know, do you just keep trusting the data that you're, you're driven by? Or do you try to find a way to shake it up? And I know that's the, that's some of the discussions that's going on with the twins right now in terms of, uh, especially when it comes to pitching, as far as how they select and sign and, and utilize their arms. So I know the, that's the internal talk here recently uh, about their woes. You know, as a journalist, we always crave access. We always want people front and center as much as possible. We want face-to-face. We want people to answer questions. I do have a little bit of uh, empathy for the situation they're in. I mean, if Falvey, you know, they have to, they do have to be pretty careful about how they phrase things these days. You know, they, they can't throw the towel in. It's too early in the season. Uh, they probably can't admit that they're looking to trade anybody, and they're probably not, but they don't want to – I mean, uh, Falvey's not going to rip Rocco publicly. You know, so the question is, I think Levine is – you know, Levine's a heck of a talker, right? And he can spin stuff really well. I don't know if Falvey, you know, how he would do in that situation if if he would – you know, I, I so I guess, yeah, you, you like the idea of these people talking. Would we really get anything out of it? I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And because of COVID and restrictions, we're not getting able to get in the clubhouse to get more yeah. of a player's perspective either. Um, we're we're at, we're at the mercy of who the twins allow on Zoom to explain themselves or to articulate what the hell's going on. And we can't get in the clubhouse to kind of get kind of feel the pulse of the clubhouse, you know. So that's that's really difficult. Um, because I, I think it'd be interesting to get more player input about how things are going right now. Uh, to be honest with you, then uh, front office. That's yeah, I agree. Point. Another comment from Tim on Twitter saying, uh, "Why should why should Minnesota fans care about the Twins this year when they've had Williams Ostadio pitch on multiple occasions? I honestly don't care one ephus for this team." Which is kind of a funny comment, but also speaks to uh, the dangerous territory they're in right now. Is not just anger; it's apathy. Like people are going to start like totally tuning this team out when you're when you're not even just like kind of bad when you're really bad. Um, how much do they have to guard against just people just checking out on them entirely right as they want fans to come back? Well, they got to, they got to, you know, right now they have the wild in the playoffs to use as a diversion. And then, then they're going to have to, it's going to be by the end of the hockey playoffs. or as far as the wild run to whenever uh, Vikings camp opens. So they've got, they've got that stretch there to try to change people's minds. <laughs> I'll just say this. We talk about, you know, this kind of stuff all the time. And first of all, the comments about why should you care about a team that puts Williams out steel on the uh, mound to throw 45 mile an hour ethos pitches. I actually agree with that. I think it's embarrassing. I think it's, I think it's really an embarrassment. I think the twins are the ones uh, violating the unwritten rules of baseball and embarrassing the game, not the hitter who swings at a pitch like that, which is a different topic. Uh, but, you know, we talk about fan apathy and fan. Here's a, it's really simple. I've, I've covered a million good twins teams, a million bad teams. If they're bad, People won't care if they're good. People will come streaming back to the ballpark immediately. Yeah, that's a good point. Winning cures a lot as it did in, in 2019. They probably felt like they were onto something. And, you know, we've talked about this in various formats, but the pandemic hit them at absolutely worst time. It, it was you know, it's, it's horrible in so many ways, but in terms of like their momentum and trying to get fans in the stands and, you know, putting, putting a ta- target field, you know, back into a better position. 2020 was a total lost year when there could have been some, uh, some gained momentum. Now, I'm going to put you guys on the spot, maybe just a tiny bit. And we, 
so many we we took so many angles at this story. Is there one is there one overriding thing that you say this is the reason? I feel like Lavelle, maybe you've identified it as the the pitching and especially the bullpen. Is there one reason you would say above all else is is what's driving this, you know, to 14 and 27 at this point? Go Lavelle. No. <laughs> Both of uh, you on the well, spot. All, all I know is this is that the offense was sputtering last year. They won 60% of their games because their, their, their pitching staff was fourth in ERA. They were able to pitch around those issues. And you watch teams through the years like Tampa Bay, like Oakland, strong pitching staffs, may not have not had the best offenses, solid defense, and they're able to win that way. Now, when you don't have a strong pitching staff, you, don't, you can't mask those problems. So I just think the problem on the mound – um, has been a big factor for what's going on with this team. Uh, you, you have better you have better pitching. You don't get stung by goofy errors in the ninth inning or missed throws or or a lack of offense. And you, maybe you're able to absorb injuries a little bit better as well. So I just like that's the foundation of, uh, to me, my opinion is that that's the foundation of this mess. I would say if, there, if we were trying to limit it to one overarching subject, I would say, Constantly trying to get by with bargains to patch your pitching staff together. Colome was a bargain. Robles was a bargain. Hap was a bargain. Shoemaker was a bargain. Uh, you're, you know, and you're, you may, every once in a while you might hit on one of those. But so many of these guys end up going back to being who they were, whether it's not very good or injuries or people past their prime. I mean, look at Martin Perez, right? He got us all excited in spring training because all of a sudden they fix his mechanics. He's throwing 97 with a nasty slider. Mm-hmm. And after that season, he was back to being exactly who Martin Perez is. You know, mm-hmm. so if you're going to spend $7 million on a pitcher or $5 million on a pitcher, the market has told you what that, that pitcher's capabilities are. So I would rather have them, you know, and, and I don't always go down the, the pole I should spend more money road, but I would say when you have a team that you think can win big, and that was the expectation coming into this year and coming into last year, you know, getting getting one or two high-level pitchers instead of trying to patch things together with a bunch of people who ended up on the market, you know, for, for less than $10 million a year is probably the way to go. You know, um, they, they offered Zach Wheeler, Wheeler what, $100 million or close to it, and he turned it down and signed with Philly. And so then they turned around and signed Josh Donaldson. What if that had worked out the other way and they had Wheeler? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's probably the kind of – listen, they, they went hard after Darvish. They went hard after Wheeler. They maybe went after some other people we don't know about. Uh, and they, we know what happens when the Twins go after high-level free agent starting pitching. They finish second, third, uh, which is the same as finishing last. Uh, and that's where I question, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna invest however many millions of dollars in the roster, maybe you should invest however many millions of dollars plus ten more percent that actually moves you ahead of your competition. I agree. And when when you start winning, you win a couple of division titles. It's about continue to add on to that success and build. You know, so you should be looking for upgrades. The best way to build depth is to bring in quality people and push the roster down instead of trying to find these bargains that come in and help buttress the bottom. Good point. I wonder if some of it too is the not overconfidence, but a belief in their own ability to fix guys or to that they. I, I do get the sense that there's a little bit of a smartest guys in the room mentality sometimes where they're like, ah, we, we'll change their pitch mix. We'll make them slider guys. And then all of a sudden they're going to be more effective. And 
it doesn't always work. Sometimes a guy's ability is like what a guy's ability is. And you can't, you can't fix, you can't just add talent. Even if you, mm-hmm. you know, even if you can do some of these things, I got a couple of Facebook questions I want to get to before we're done here. I'm going to end with one, uh, one big question for you guys too, after this, but Danny wants to know, given the eerie similarities to the bill Smith era, oof, good first oh, year, God. two playoff appearances with no wins, a hundred last season. Why do Falvine, which is the lovely, uh, you know, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine uh, smashed together. Why do they deserve more time with this organization? Nelson Cruz aside, where have they beat the market in finding talent to win via trade or free agency? Where is any player they've drafted, developed, making an impact? Yes, they know analytics, but do they know baseball? I haven't seen anything in five years that would lead me to believe that. Harsh. And this, well, and this is just where I think fans just let their anger overwhelm common sense. Uh, Bill Smith, came in and rode what had been a pretty strong organization. And, I mean, I don't know what Bill did other than just kind of roll out the players and the manager who were already there, you know, and that was eventually going to fail, and it did. Uh, you know, Falvey and Levine, I, I do think they're highly intelligent. I do – they've both been with other winning organizations. I think they know how things work. They probably do – it. I don't know how you can – do their jobs and not overvalue your own knowledge and expertise, you know? And and so that's always a danger. Uh, But they came in with a franchise that was in some trouble. They ramped up to 101 wins in a season, which is hard to do under any circumstances. They continued pretty much on winning the same pace last year. And this year, I don't know if it's a market correction. I don't know if it's something they're doing failing. I will also say they traded for Kenta Maeda, who immediately finished what second in the side. I mean, that, that Brilliant. I mean, that, you know, Terry Ryan went through a, about a five-year period where he made more good trades than anybody I can remember. Uh, trading trading a, a short reliever for Kenta Maeda, who becomes your ace, that's pretty good. Um, I, I do – here's what I agree with, and Lavelle pointed this out earlier. Derek was hired to fix their pitching, to develop pitching, to improve the pitching staff, and that has been hit and miss. Yes, yeah. good points. And also, too, when Falvey and V came aboard, it was basically a mom-and-pop organization. They had a small, small group of people that did everything. Um, and the, 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 the desire was to build out from – it's more of an inside-out build than outside-in. Even if they have signed Cruz, Donaldson, and traded for Maeda, it's been more of an inside-out build. And that takes time for the fruits of that to develop. Um especially when it comes to developing starting pitchers. Cause I think the ones that they really like are just at high A right now. And last year with the COVID pushed everybody back a year. So that affected them, but the research and development department's been built out. Um, they have a, the, there was a disconnect between scouting and development that they had to address when they first came in. And they, they think everybody's on the same page with that. And, and the fruits of those efforts aren't always immediate. You know what I'm saying? So there's some parts of this that are going to take time. Uh, but I, I just wish if they, when you see an opportunity to go for a championship, you've got to keep bringing quality talent and, and, and convince Jim Polad, who has spent millions of dollars building up research and development and hiring people and hiring um, um, uh, fancy trainers and, and medical specialists. He's, he has spent money to tell them that, hey, this guy's worth $25 million a year because he's going to anchor our pitching staff. Yeah. And, and the poll ads also have spent a lot of their own money upgrading target field without going back to the taxpayers, which yep, I appreciate. Yep. But when it comes to the big ticket item, and, and they signed Donaldson for a lot, so it's not like they don't do it at all. 
It's just that, you know, eventually you're going to need somebody to outpitch the opposition. And, you know, the, the patch, the patchwork pitching staff is just going to fail at some point. Let's get to a big picture question. It also incorporates something from a Facebook commenter, Mark, who wants to know about, you know, basically the hitting coaches, pitching coaches, uh, well, you know, where, where do they fall on, on the blame spectrum here? I guess that brings me to, the, let's, let's finish with this for both of you guys. Good stuff so far. Thanks everybody for your questions and for joining us here. Let, let's imagine maybe not even the 14 and 27 pace. But let's imagine this season doesn't get turned around in a meaningful way. Let's say they, they, they're, you know, they muddle along, maybe they're closer to 500 for a while, but, <clears throat> or even they get a little, you know, it's a little bit worse than that. How, how drastic of a move do you imagine could come this season? Is it, you know, a couple of trades of veterans? Is it a bigger roster overhaul? Is it people losing their jobs? You know, whether it's on the coaching staff, whether it's in the front office, like what, how, how, how far do you think this goes based on how bad it's been and how bad it could be? Well, um, who has trade value on this team? Uh, Cruz could help a contender at the deadline, uh, but he has to be a uh, American league only. Um, who else would have, who else would have good value? Buxton teams. Now he breaks down Barrios. Barrios should be part of the solution, not the problem. You know, so I don't know as far as drastic moves at the trade deadline they can handle or what they can do during the off season. Because I mean, people, people see the same players that twins fans are seeing. They see that Kepler's not hitting. They see that Polanco, you know, is not the smoothest defender. Uh, they see Arias may not have a position, you know, they see that stuff. So um, in terms of coaching staff, I think Wes Johnson's very smart. I think uh, he's a good pitching coach. Uh, I do think he hasn't found the right way to kind of get some of these guys to be the best, best versions of themselves. I personally think that they miss James Rawson a lot. I think Rawson was a very good hitting coach. I think he had, he had his message to players resonate with them well, and I think he got the most out of them, and that's not clicking right now. It's going on two years now. So uh, I do think that's one spot they definitely could possibly see a, a change in. I agree on Rousen. I also agree that there aren't a lot of people on this roster that you could trade or would trade that would bring much back. My guess is they would hope if it continues to be a lost season, they would hope that Calame, Robles, guys like that get hot in July so they can trade them for something. Um, yeah. This organization has had its success, especially in the Terry Ryan years, trading for you know unknown A-ball prospects and having them turn into Joe Nathan or Johan Santana or you know whoever. Uh, so, so that's it's not an exciting path to go down, but it can be effective over time. I, here, I'll, I'll make this my last thought for the day, or at least my last thought uh, in this segment. We all know what's wrong, right? And, and there are a lot of things wrong. And we know that if you play as badly as this over a long period of time, a lot of people will lose their jobs, players, coaches, whatever. I still think that if they get Buxton back healthy, if Kirilov comes back healthy, uh, if they stop playing 4A players, you know, that I've never heard of before, if, uh, you know, if they just get decent starting pitching and Miami straightens himself out and somebody starts closing games differently. And that sounds like yeah. those, those aren't really unreasonable things. If they kind of piece something together and just start edging back toward 500, they could still contend. I mean, there are two wildcard spots to chase here. Um, it, it wouldn't be out of the – it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for them to get back into contention at some point. And until they're really out of it, a lot of these questions are kind of moot. You don't think Rocco's job is in play at this point. I know that's what you wrote, but that, that doesn't seem like it's a, a real thing at this point, despite the fire Rocco crowd. 
His record is 151 and 112. He has one of the best records in the American, even after this horrific start, he has one of the best records in the American League since he got the job. Uh, I can't tell you that, you know, Rocco and the front office are in lockstep on everything, but they meet every day. They talk everything through. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine Rocco getting fired and, uh, you know, I, I, I'd have to see something really dramatic for him to fire Rocco this year. It would have to be some clear message that the entire, he'd lost the entire team or that he was defying the front office. Uh, I don't see them reacting by firing Rocco. And, you know, Rocco has been uh, selected the most handsome manager in baseball. Two Which years. is all that really matters. How can you get rid of a guy, a good-looking guy like Rocco? You know, actually, Rocco, people thinking Rocco is good-looking is a really good sign for me. <laughs> you have the same hairline so. same hairline of course i'm 85 years older than he is so maybe that doesn't work <laughs> well maybe that moment of levity is a good place to to finish thanks everybody for your questions and for listening along with us and uh we'll we'll do this again lavelli neil the third jim suhan thank you guys and we'll do this again uh down the road all right thanks sounds good thanks for having me that'll do it like i said we'll be back friday with a lot of other good content including breaking down game three of wild versus Vegas. Thanks for listening to special delivery. Hope you checked out Thursday's regular edition as well with chip Scoggins and chicken fingers 69. Hope you've been listening all week, leave a rating, write a review on, uh, on Apple iTunes, wherever you get your podcast sure does help me and we'll catch you again later.